do you respond to affliction? How do you respond to affliction? I was, uh, this week I, I had taken off as vacation because I like to hunt and, and I like to bow hunt and I end up taking a deer this week and my son got one yesterday morning, but just love being out in the woods. It's just therapy for me. But anyway, um, I was uh, at home listening to some praise music and this song came on, how great is our God. Me, how great is our God. And then it's, one more time. How great, how great is our God. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said, there's a lot of truth in that song. He said, how great is our God. How great is their God, Owen? Their God. Many times they're not singing about me. How great is their God in their life, their idol, their God? And I thought, man, we should be singing, how great is Yeshua? How great is Jesus? Because our God many times is not the God we serve. Amen? We allow these idols to rise up. And, and, and they become a problem in our lives. And then the Lord, he took me to Romans 12. And I was reading that, Romans 12, verse 9. It says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Then it goes on to say, bless those who persecute you, and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty. But associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he thirsts, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And so I got to thinking about that passage, and I'm thinking, Lord, this is the problem with our nation. You know, we don't understand that we are putting things before you. Our positions our careers, our businesses, our marriages, our children. We're, we're allowing idols to rise up and we give God the leftovers. And I don't believe that's God's purpose for us. So when we go back to that scripture that says, let love be without hypocrisy. Do not say one thing and do something else. Be true in love. Let it touch every part of your private and public life so that you are living truth in love to those around you. Abhor, 
Abhor what is evil. That is to regard with disgust. To be hated. We are to abhor what is evil. We're to hate that. Not even have that in our lives. I don't see a lot of believers even doing that today. I mean, we're bringing movies into our homes. We're watching things on the internet. We're, we're looking at things. We're going to places we shouldn't be going to. And all of a sudden, we want to know why we're struggling with the struggles we have. Just a lot of pain. So to abhor what is evil means to treat with extreme repugnance. Not always gentle and mild. We are to hate evil. We're to show love, but we're to hate evil. Reject that. Not to be a part of that. Stand up against. Stand out against. How? How do we do it? He goes on to tell us there, hold fast to what is good. Be kind and affectionate to one another. Giving preference for one another. That doesn't mean you yield to sin, but you love people. And they see that fruit of the Spirit flowing out of your life. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. What is our hope? We are to rejoice every day. We have the greatest hope. Our hope is in Jesus. We have the answer for those that are bummed out, that are struggling, that are depressed, that are, that are so discouraged. We can let them know there's hope in Jesus. Well, I don't know how to get it. We can help you get that hope, and you can understand that no matter what's going on in your life, you can have peace in all your circumstances. That's what the Lord's wanting for us. But Owen, the world is falling apart. Israel's a mess. The Middle East is a mess. Listen, the disciples lived in Rome. They were there. Rome, some of them were there. In Israel, Rome ruled. They were dictators. They were aristocrats that hated everybody. They were power hungry. They would steal, kill to keep their power. They were facing the same stuff. We don't even have the persecution in America that they had, and yet they thrived in the kingdom. They didn't blame the government. They didn't blame Caesar. They didn't blame all this stuff. They just kept doing what God called them to do, and the gospel was furthered. Not a lot has changed. They furthered the kingdom of God under tyrants. And they were hated because they were believers. There was corruption all around them, especially in politicians. They were ruled by force. We're to distribute to the needs of those that are in the body. We are to take care of those that are hurting, especially within the body of Christ. The Bible tells us to take care of them first, to meet each other's needs. To pray for one another. You know, this week the Lord's put some people in my heart that I've just had to pray for every day. I don't know all that's going on, but he's just like, just keep praying for them, keep praying for them, keep praying for them. And there is power in prayer. They may never know that I'm praying for them, but I just know the Lord's put them on my heart. Being obedient. Have you ever been asked to do something for God that seemed crazy? And you're like, not now, no way, not this time. I don't want to have to do that. And your flesh wants to fight it, but you know the Spirit's telling you to do that. It's amazing how God can use those little things, those little things to change a person's life. I remember hearing a story about a gal that came to church, and, and somebody was in the church and saw her, and the, Lord, the Holy Spirit kept telling this person, 
you need to give her some money this morning. You need to give her some money. And he looked in his wallet, and all he had was $5. He was actually a young teenager. I, I just have $5. What's that to her? And he couldn't shake it. So finally, after the service, he walked over and he said, Ma'am, I don't know you. All I know is God told me to give this to you. And the woman started crying. She said, I had enough gas to get to church, but I don't have enough to get home. This $5 will get me a gallon and get me home. God was using that young man to do something. I remember setting out at Ford, waiting to have a vehicle uh, worked on, and, and I was just there waiting in their little room, and there was three or four people there, and there was a gal with a young child, and, and she was trying to keep the little girl uh, occupied, and, and the Lord said, hey, you know, I, I, I had this $100 bill. It was like my, my little stash. <laughs> and he said, I want you to take that $100 bill and give it to her. And I said, no, you don't. <laughs> I remember saying that to myself, no, you don't. That's my stash money. <laughs> and I actually had 10 more dollars. Besides that, in my wallet, give that to her. I don't want to give that to her. Use somebody else here. <laughs> Have you ever had that conversation with God? I wasn't being mean. I was just being real. I mean, the reason God loved David so much, he was just real. And, and, and I'm like, I don't want to give that, that $100. And I sat there, and, man, I just wrestled. It was misery. And finally, I pulled it out, and... I got ready to leave, and I walked over, and I said, ma'am, hey, Jesus loves you, and he wanted to send you a message today, and he wanted me to give this to you. And, I get, and she just starts crying. I'm like, wasn't enough. What is not enough? <laughs> She's like, I didn't know how I was going to pay for this, and this is going to help me so much. Oh, thank you so much. I said, don't thank me. Thank Jesus. I was being real right there. <laughs> I get no credit for this. And I go on. And I remember when I got back to the church that day, this guy comes walking in, and he's kind of mad. He comes walking in, he goes, what's going on in your life today? Huh? Tell me what you've done today. I just done my normal stuff. I mean, you seem a little intense here. What's going on? No, tell me what's going on. Have you done something for somebody? Huh? Oh, yeah, I... I gave this lady some money. Oh, great. <laughs> and he hands me this wad of cash. He goes, here, just take it. <laughs> what? God told me to come over here and give this to you, and I couldn't rest. Just take it. I said, I know that feeling. Thank you very much. Lord bless you. <laughs> but you never know what God will do. I didn't give to get. Believe me, I didn't give to get. By my, I said, Lord, thank you for teaching him a lesson. <laughs> God loves us so much, but he wants us to help others. Amen? And sometimes the doing doesn't make sense. The doing doesn't make sense. And, and we have to realize, God, what are you doing? And Shaloi and I, we were at a restaurant, and, and I looked at this lady, and I said, 
do you have like pain in your arm or something? She's like, what? I'm like, she's always looking at me like, I said, ma'am, I think I'm supposed to pray for you and I think there's something in your arm and you're, and she's like, well, my wrist is, so I said, well, I know I'm supposed to pray for you, but it opened up a conversation about something else going on. And her son was killed in an accident and she had a five-year-old granddaughter that the son's wife was not allowing her and her husband to see. And she was debating, should I go to court over this or whatever? I said, I don't know the answer to that. I can just tell you that we're going to pray for you and God's going to bring some reconciliation here. So we prayed for her. After we prayed for her, almost a month later, I was at that same restaurant. She was, I said, hey, come here, come here. I got to know what happened with you and your granddaughter. It all worked out. She lets us see her now. She comes to our house. It's just so good. I said, thank you, Jesus. But that gal will remember that we prayed and Jesus made a way where there didn't seem to be. Those, those may seem like small things, but that's how God uses us. Amen? And then it plants little seeds in their lives. So let's look at, today I want to look at Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Is there anybody here this morning, you are not the favorite in your family? Can I see your hand? Just hold it high. Keep it up just for a moment. Keep it up really high. <laughs> My brother's got his hand way <laughs> Okay, you can put it down. How many know that there can be sibling rivalry and it can get intense in the family? Amen? How many children were in your family? Young lady, you need to sit down. Please don't interrupt the pastor. Please don't interrupt the pastor. Ushers, would you usher her out? That's my mom. <laughs> but we have a baby sister, and she was spoiled. And she was spoiled the most. And, and we saw that, but it was okay. We were all good with it because we realized by the time, and she's like five or six years younger than me, by the time we were getting out of the house, mom and dad were doing better financially, and they could do more for her. So here's Joseph, though, and his dad puts this robe of many colors together, and when his brothers saw their father, they loved him more, that his father loved him more than all the other brothers. Man, they hated him. Joseph then goes on to have a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to mine. Can you imagine one of your siblings telling me, telling you, hey, 
I'm going to rise up and you're going to bow. <laughs> you're going to bow. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream. The kid didn't get it. Keep your mouth shut. He must have been so naive. <laughs> Quit telling. Sometimes God can give you a dream and you should not share it with everybody. Have you ever been at church or in the workplace or with the family and somebody drives up in a new car? Or they show you a picture of their new remodeled home or their new home and you just are overwhelmed with envy and frustration like, how can they afford that? It's just ridiculous. I see them eating out all the time. Just disgust me. Why is it we're like that? Why can't we enjoy the blessing that God has given them? Some of you are married to people, they just want to bless you all the time. Amen, Chuck? They just want to just bless you and, and, and do mighty things for you. And, and other people shouldn't get jealous about that blessing, Brian. They shouldn't get jealous over that blessing. They should just rejoice. But why is it we get envious? This is what happens. In the body of Christ, I go back to what I started with in Romans about where we are today to pray, to love, to give, to share, to be able just to turn. And when somebody's hurting, take the time to encourage them. Encourage them. So he shares a second dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now, that's pretty intense there. If my brother Ronnie came to me and said, hey, I had a dream, and the sun and the moon and the stars are by, I said, well, man, you must be high or something, dude, because, <laughs> but they were bowing down to me. When he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your, even his parents got ticked. And Joseph wasn't being arrogant about this. He just had been given something of God. There are times when God speaks something into your life, gives you something, and you're excited about it and you want to share it, but not everybody embraces it. Not everybody embraces it. I remember Pastor Adam and I, we came over to this property with Dick Rubin. And we were like, man, we would just like to buy 10 acres here. We were thinking 10 acres or, or whatever. And he goes, how many acres are here? 30. God, I just declare they're going to have all of it and they're going to be triple the blessing and all this stuff. And I'm just like, oh. I was thinking, we got the money for triple. Lord, what's this guy? But man, he's just praying intensely. You know, he was right. He was right. He was declaring something that I didn't know and God was just speaking through him. And I looked back, and I was like, man, this Messianic Jew, he, he knew exactly what he was saying. He was stretching us in that. You see, life may bring unexpected twists. Unexpected twists. So the first point today is this. Are you fruitful when you're facing rejection? 
We all face rejection. Are you fruitful when you face rejection? Joseph of 17, there's something about the age of 17 throughout Scripture. It's a big turning point in many lives. There's a lot of callings that God places on people's life for careers that happen when they're 17. I'm telling you, if you're 17 today or 15 or 16, start listening. God's about to change something. It was 17 when God called me into full-time ministry. There's something about 17, but there's also something about 17 when, when you're being called for God to direct you that things can escalate and get intense. And at 17, my dad struggled with alcohol. He came in drunk. My jaw was ripped away from my gum. I was bleeding profusely everywhere, and he threw me out of the house. I remember it was a cold winter night, and he said, don't ever come back. Now, I would never touch my dad. I never drew my fist back. I, do, I just honored but that was the night that my world was rocked because I'd seen all this alcohol and this anger and the beating of my mother and all these different things. And, and I had had it because we lived sometimes from neighbors helping us because he would gamble his checks away and do all these things. And, and that was the night that I was going 120 miles an hour down South 9th Street Road, and I was going to flip my car off the bridge over the Wabash. It's the first time in my life I ever wanted to commit suicide. I didn't want to live. And I mean, blood everywhere, didn't know where to go, didn't know who to turn to. So I went to Shaloy's mom's house, and, and I said, could I spend the night here? I've got no place to go. And she said, Sure. Shaloi's dad was an oral surgeon. I went to him the next day. He said, I wish you would have come to me last night. I could have stitched all that up. But for four days, my face went out like this. It was so deformed and so bad. I remember coming to church on that Sunday. That happened on a Friday night. And that Sunday, and people couldn't even look at me. I didn't realize how bad it was. But as I thought about killing myself, I heard the Lord say to me, this is not what I have for you, Owen. I mean, an audible voice in that car, this is not what I have for you. And I pulled over and I was just weeping. He said, I've got a bigger purpose for your life. Do not do this. And I made a commitment to Christ and I said, I will do everything I can from this point on to win as many souls into the kingdom of God that I can because of what the devil has put our family through. And I remember saying, devil, I am on your heels. I'm coming after you through Christ with all that I have. I remember saying that. You see, the calling came on my life, but then all of a sudden... There was hell that broke loose. Some of you are facing hell today. You're not even 17. You could be 30, 40, 50, 60, and things have broken loose, and you're like, what is going on? Trust me, God's got a bigger picture. Are you still going to be fruitful in rejection? You see, I didn't miss church. I still went to church even though I looked a mess because I love Jesus. 
We can think of every excuse not to even go to church anymore. Affliction is full of suffering. Have you ever suffered? What about unjust, undeserved suffering? She's always pointing her finger at me right now. She's saying, yeah, I've suffered a lot with him. Undeserved. Undeserved suffering. If you're facing affliction, right now, right on your outline, this is where I'm suffering. Just write it there. Put it, this is where I'm suffering. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction. Maybe, it's, maybe you're so angry at your spouse. Maybe it's so, you're so upset with your career or what's going on, your health. But just, just write it down there. Joseph was favored by his father. He was favored by God. But then look what happened in his family. They took him. They threw him in a pit. They were going to kill him. These brothers hated him that much. They were going to kill him. I've never wanted to kill a family member. I mean, that was extreme hate. And then they saw a caravan coming through, and they thought, instead of killing him, let's sell him into slavery. And they took that coat of many colors, and they ripped it up, and they put blood on it, and they took it back to the father, and they said, listen, a wild animal has killed Joseph. But when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than all the other brothers, they hated him. Rejection. It's so sad. I've always told my children, my three kids growing up, I've always said, you're my favorite. And I could hear Kayla going to Kirsten, dad told me I'm his favorite. But Kirsten said, well, he told me I'm his favorite. And Jared just never listened. He just kind of just went through it. But I said, you're my favorite. You're my favorite. I wanted them to all know they really are my favorite, but I tell them that all the time. I wasn't causing division. I wanted them, they're all my favorite. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're God's favorite. You're God's favorite. That's the truth. So how do we respond when others are being blessed or they're being favored by God? Do we get envious? Do we get angry? Do we get jealous? How do you respond? Hopefully not with hatred. So they ended up acting out their revenge on Joseph. They sold him into slavery. They weren't high. They weren't on prescription drugs. They weren't drunk. They were just full of rage. We live in a society where people's minds are altered, and you never know what they may do. I've told my children, if somebody, my wife, if somebody's in a car yelling at you, don't pull over, don't stop. You don't know what they're on or what they're doing. They could shoot you in a heartbeat because their mind has been altered, and they could be possessed. Come on now. It's the truth. And remember, Joseph's father was known as a deceiver. Jacob. He was known. What you do in moderation, parents, your children will do in excess. You may think you're hiding it, but it will come out in your children. 
No, you're not perfect, but you need to shut some stuff down that's allowing the enemy to get to your children. Amen? And when you hear me say this, but it's true, when you're saying, I wish I'd have never married this person, that is the spirit of murder. That is the spirit of murder in your marriage. And your kids are going to act out on some of that stuff. Be careful. Instead of asking God to change that person, why don't you ask God to give you more love, like Romans 12 talks about? More love. So he was sold into slavery. He was put in a position of hopelessness. 17 years old. Two dreams had not come true. It took 13 years for him to get to the position that the dream said. So at 17 to age 30, he suffered all kinds of consequences. We don't ever hear Joseph complaining. We don't hear Joseph shaking his fist. He remained fruitful even in rejection. It's amazing. Genesis 39, 2 through 6. Second point is this. Are you fruitful when facing false accusations? False accusations. Anybody ever accused you of something you didn't do? At work, in the family? Man, I learned a lesson years ago. I bought a car, and I was going to flip that car not flip it, flip it, I mean sell it, to make a little extra money. And my uncle came to me and he said, hey, your cousin needs a car. Would you sell it to him? I said, and I looked at my little homie cousin, and I'm like, yeah, he can just have it for what I have in it. So I sold it to him. Really nice car. Seven months later, my uncle calls me and tells me I sold them a lemon, and he can't stand me. So I called my cousin up, and I said, listen, hey, what's going on with the car? Well, the engine blew up. Well, what happened? Well, I took it to a mechanic, and he said, well, let's take it for a ride. And the mechanic had it going 90 miles an hour, and it was low on oil, and he blew the engine up. But my uncle wouldn't believe it. His nephew did something bad to his son, and now I was the evil guy. Although I had nothing to do with that. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. This is 39 verse 2. His master saw the Lord was with him. And that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight of and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. All of a sudden, this kid that's been sold into slavery, who's now living in Potiphar's house, is being put in charge of Potiphar's house. You see, when God has a purpose and a plan, he's going to keep elevating you, even in the midst of the affliction you're facing. So are you fruitful when facing false accusations? From time to time. Let's keep reading here. 
From, time to, from the time that he made him overseer in the house and all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And, he, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Joseph went from favorite son to favorite slave to becoming the executive Potiphar's house of Potiphar's house. Favorite son to favorite slave. God made him fruitful even in rejection. Rejection is painful, especially when it comes from family or someone close to us. It's very painful. As a matter of fact, it's unbearable. Tears can be poured out in the midst of rejection. Pain and hurt. But Joseph was gaining skill about the culture and his future position because in Potiphar's house, he was learning the ways of the Egyptians so that when he got to, he didn't understand it at that time, when he got to that point, he was understanding more about the culture. So verse 6 in chapter 39 So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about it. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in his house, and he has put everything in my charge. Is He is not greater in his house than I am, nor Has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife? How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Come on. Not only was he honoring his slave master, he was still honoring God. In your rejection, in your false accusations, are you still honoring Jesus? Are you willing to throw in the towel and walk away? Where are you today? Let's keep reading here. And she spoke to Joseph day after day, and he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. There's a good lesson, men. If you want to know the mess you can find yourself in, read Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 about an adulterous woman. Or it could be applied to an adulterous man. You've got to flee. You've got to run. You've got to get out of there. So he took off, and she had his garment. As soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, And had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Oh, my gosh. I don't care if it's a man or a woman. The devil is out to destroy you. With false accusations with lies, 
You have got to be wise, discerning, careful, very careful. And then she goes on, the Hebrew servant who you have brought among us came into me and laughed at me. So Potiphar goes ballistic and has him thrown into prison. Let's get to the third point in closing today. Are you fruitful in isolation? Are you fruitful in isolation? Joseph now was in slavery, rejected by his brothers, put into slavery. Now he's in prison. Now, Egyptian prisons, they were terrible. They were the worst of the worst. But even in prison, he gained favor and he became in charge of the prisons as the prison warden saw the favor on him and he put him over. And a butler and a cupbearer comes. And they're in there, they're Pharaoh's butler and Pharaoh's cupbearer, and all of a sudden they have these dreams and they tell these two dreams to Joseph. And Joseph understands dreams. And he looked at the baker and the cupbearer and he said to the cupbearer, you're going to go back and serve the king. But he looked at the baker and he says, your dream says you're going to be killed tomorrow. The baker was killed. The cupbearer was brought back, but before he went back to Pharaoh, Joseph said, remember me when you go to Pharaoh. Tell him who I am. Two more years, the cupbearer forgot about him. Never said a word. Never said a word. Amazing. Be careful in all your duties because God's favor can lift you up This is an important statement today. When you're walking in God's favor and doing the things that God has called you in your career, in your home, in your house, be careful because God's favor will lift you up and the flesh and others will try to take you down. Or they want to get where you are and they'll use their flesh to try to destroy you to get to that status. Through connection. Some of you have been blessed in your business, you've been blessed in your family, but the enemy's bringing wrong people into the family, wrong people into the business, and they are trying to take you down, and you don't have discernment to see. Be careful who you're letting in. I'm telling you, this is a word for somebody today. Some of you are thinking about dating somebody, and they are not who God wants you to have. And that's a word from the Lord. You need to stay away from them. You see, Joseph, even though he did nothing wrong, he didn't want to lose his integrity by dishonoring God or his master. Even when Potiphar's wife falsely accused him. Character assassination is one of the most difficult challenges a person can ever face. Anybody ever had their character assassinated? Come on, be honest. People have said some things about you that were not true. That causes long-term damage because it takes years for people to believe the truth. That's why today you can't even believe what's being said 
about politicians, all of them, because with AI, artificial intelligence, they're going to make people, they can make a video of you saying something that you don't really say, but they have the capabilities of making you say something that's ungodly, and people will believe it. That's what's going to take down the churches. They're going to have pastors saying stuff on clips that they piece together. They're going to make it look so real when the pastor never said that, never did that, but they're going to accuse him of that, and people are going to believe it because people tend to believe the low stuff. We gravitate to the low stuff. Well, I knew that guy was like that. I mean, look what they're doing to our former president. I'm not saying this guy was a man of God, believe me. But, oh, my gosh, they will create witnesses. Just like Jesus, they brought in witnesses that said he said he was going to destroy the temple in three days, and he never was talking about that temple. He was talking about his own body. But they'll twist things against you. And remember that old song? This is what plays in America so well today. I heard it through the grapevine. The grapevine travels really fast today. I remember I was having lunch with my sister, and somebody made a statement, hey, I saw you with that blonde. Really? Where was I? Which one was it? That's what I wanted to say. Where was it? You were at this restaurant. Oh, Tuesday? Yeah. At lunch? Yeah. That was my baby sister. Oh, praise the Lord. But my statement was, who, who, who have you told that to? Because you need to correct that. They look for the worst. The, sometimes the best way to handle it is to remain fruitful. Just let God do your defending. Amen? When the world wrongs you, let God speak on your behalf. So are you fruitful in isolation? Are you going to get bitter about it? Or are you going to get better? Are you going to let all this stuff that's happened to you that was wrong stumble you and cause you to keep tripping? Or are you going to make it a stepping stone and step up? Stand with me this morning. My advice for you today is Joseph faced this for 13 years. The best years of his life, age 17 to age 30, he went through hell on earth. Stay patient. Stay patient, trusting God. God loves you more than you know, and his favor is second to none. So finally, the cupbearer remembers this guy in prison because Pharaoh's had these dreams. He said, man, I met this guy. His name was Joseph in prison. He interpreted my dream. You need to have him. He comes, he interprets Pharaoh's dreams, and Pharaoh's like, oh my goodness, seven years of famine, seven years of plenty, I've got to have a guy to be in charge of all this. You're going to be the guy, Joseph. 
The sheaves are going to bow to you. The sun and the moon and the stars are going to bow to you. You're going to be second in command because you have honored God. Come on now. You remained fruitful in everything that you did. You didn't get bitter. You didn't get resentful. You didn't crucify them with your mouth. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. Amen? It only matters the truth and what God knows and how many children. With your heads bowed. In your position today of rejection, in your position of being accused falsely with accusations, in your position today of being isolated, are you still fruitful? It's hard. It's not easy when things are collapsing around you and it seems like there's nobody else there. Can I tell you, Jesus is still there. He sees the tears. He sees the pain. He sees the hurt inside. Stay fruitful with your heads bowed this morning. If that's you this morning, you're facing it. You're facing something. Would you just lift your hand and say, I just need the Lord to help me to remain fruitful. Hold it up real high. That's me today. Yeah. I just want to be fruitful. You can put it back down. A lot of hands going up. You came here today and God gave you a word. Just like Joseph. I'm your promoter. I'm your defender. I will take you through this storm. I will get you to the other side. I was there with my disciples when they thought the boat was going to sink. I was there when they didn't think they had any provision. I was there to provide when everything looked grim. He's with you. But before I pray for you, is there anybody here you say, Owen, oh, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I want to give my life to him today. That's, that's the greatest thing you could ever do. You don't know Jesus, nobody looking around. Would you just lift your hand and say, remember me in prayer. Just hold it up. I don't know Jesus, but I want to know him today. Don't want to miss anybody. Yes, I see that hand. Anybody else? I want to receive Christ too. Just remember me in prayer, Owen. Nobody's looking around. Just You're saying, it's my day. I need to do this. Anybody else? Don't want to miss you. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Lord, for these young people giving their hand up today. Anybody else? Remember me. Remember me in prayer, Owen. Heaven's about to rejoice. Woo! <laughs> I want everybody to say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you in my life. The Son of God, you lived the life, went to the cross, died for my sins, rose from the grave for me. Forgive me, Jesus, of my sins. I want you to be my Lord. Give me a hunger for the Bible, to fellowship with believers, and to be an overcomer in temptation. Amen. If you said that Pastor Taylor will be up here today, if you did, lift your hand, or if you didn't, please come and see him. We'll get you a Bible, some material. But Lord, I pray for all those that lifted their hand today. 
Lord, help them to stand strong in the midst of their accusation, their rejection, and their isolation. I pray, Lord, for blessings upon them to remain fruitful, to trust you. You are in charge in the mighty name of Jesus. God bless you. Have a good week.